You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming and achieving success in multifamily real estate and even some of them doing it while active duty and really dig into their lessons learned as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Welcome back, learners, to another edition of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and today we have a uh, new, a true veteran entrepreneur here, and he has done over $75 million in sales on mixed single-family home and multifamily. He's also launching a $100 million real estate fund to end military housing crisis, and actually just got started a couple of weeks ago, um, and end of July, and uh, all started with buying a, a turnkey fourplex with his VA loan. James James Marzalek, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me and uh, appreciate you putting this together. I think uh, information is really key right now for our vets out there. And we'll talk about it later, but I wish this would have been around when I was active for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, and that's that's kind of the whole point of why, you know, I want to get this going because it's, um, you know, I found that there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of reasons to and excuses to not want to get into real estate to not think about business outside the military um just yeah. kind of keep your head down and go through your w2 um yeah and so trying to find reasons to get into it and find proofs of concept and have other people that have proven that they've done it whether you're overseas whether you're active duty whether you're you know you're a spouse and you're a military spouse and you're raising the family right uh, all yeah. those are, are realities that a lot of us face you know being in the military whether you're active duty or not um and so i think having a lot of examples of this, having guys on, you know, like you that have, yeah, although you're not, not longer active duty, I'm sure you took a lot of lessons learned from being active duty and started a lot of this process, you know, back then. You have, so you I appreciate no you coming idea. on and sharing yeah. all that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> so, so let's start with this. Um, you know, what, what's your military background and how did it uh, lead you into what you're currently doing? Yeah. So I spent seven years active duty in the army I was with 5-1 Cav at a Fort Wainwright, Alaska, and deployed to Iraq twice. Um, Spent a lot of my military career, obviously, on training and deployed and all these kind of different things. But when I had time, I was side hustling, uh, always looking for an opportunity to have what I would consider to be a business project, not a business, but a way to make money on the side. And some of that was internet arbitrage in Fairbanks. Uh, Some of that was selling electronics and 
Iraq to the guys who had the little, you know, knockoff DVD booths and they were trying to sell these knockoff iPads and, and iPods and, and then, you know, there were just all those kind of things. And then candy bars and basic training. That's a whole nother story for another time, but that was a fun one. Um, I never actually engaged in real estate while I was active. And I know we're going to get into, you know, other things that I think that I did wrong, but I think I could summarize the entire podcast. Not that I want your viewers to stop right here, but, uh, using the benefits that you've got while you're active, you know, the federal government, the military was paying me through BAH to be a real estate investor. And nobody had let me see that perspective yet. And so I threw away $136,000. I actually went back and did the math of BH. That could have been my equity. That could have been producing cash flow. That could have been doing a lot of things. And instead, some other landlord locked down that money. Or when I was living on the base, obviously, you just don't get it. But, um, you know, I, I certainly did learn a lot of lessons from my active duty service. It just wasn't until after. Uh, which was unfortunate because I was always entrepreneurial minded. I was always looking for opportunity and I didn't know what I didn't know. And maybe it was that I was stationed in Fairbanks, Alaska and the education around your benefits just wasn't there. I mean, this was 05, you know? So, you know, the, the education, the awareness around how to use the VA loan, I certainly don't feel was strong at that point. Uh, and it wasn't until after I got out that I realized that, oh, shit, I could have been doing this the entire time. I could have been way further ahead. And of course, now as somebody who helps people exercise those, you know, those theories, um, I'm helping people buy multifamily properties at every duty station they go to. And if, man, if I could have done that while I was active, I would have left the military with a, a grip of passive income and a grip of cash in equity. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, we'll talk about that later. But, you know, that was, you know, in between missions and training, always looking at arbitrage, always looking for opportunities on how to provide value to the community around me and make a little bit of money in the process. And uh, that's what brought me here. So I did seven years. I got out and uh, became an entrepreneur. I'm on no business number three and four right now. And uh, I wouldn't give it up for the world. This is it. Love it. You know, one of the things that I end up finding with guys who are, are uh, serial entrepreneurs like you is it doesn't really matter where they're, you know, what their career path was, whether they were in a W-2 or not. Yeah. It, they still kind of had the same skills and the same drive uh, kind of instilled from the beginning. So um, was there someone in your family that kind of led you to that or were you, grow, were you um, did you grow up in a certain environment that kind of nurtured that, that entrepreneurial spirit? That's a really good question. So the ultimate answer is no, no one in my family was entrepreneurial. Uh, they were all middle-class rat race W-2 people, um, which look, everybody's got to live their life. But um, I certainly did not appeal to that route of life. You know, I, I did not want a nine to five job. I did not want to constantly be working for somebody else and being told that our ideas were not appropriate for the business, even though they were the best ideas, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but I will say when I was 15 years old, I read a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And it's an old book, but a very good one. That's more about the blueprint around how wealthy people look at money. And as a teenager, you know, I had, you know, I was mowing lawns and shoveling snow at 13 and then got my first job at 15 at McDonald's, which was a blast. Um, so I always had some sort of money coming in and it was always a question of, well, what do I do with this money? What is this? What is this for? And as a teenager, it was always like, well, 
you buy stuff with it. That's what money is, right? You, you acquire things, you buy vehicles and computers and TVs and Xboxes and whatever else you wanted as a teenager, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But that book really opened my eyes to another world that was around me the entire time. I just didn't have awareness around it. And that's how truly wealthy people use their money as a tool. And that really put me on a different path uh, in my mind on what I wanted to make money for and, and how I was going to use real estate as a tool and what I was going to use, you know, how I was going to spend the money uh, really changed at that time. I don't think that there was anybody that really had a significant influence up to that point, except for the people writing those books. Um, you know, I did get into Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is a very common one. Um, but really, after I understood that there was another world, I really started to do the research into, well, what does that mean? What are the mechanics? How do wealthy people become wealthy? And then what do they do once they get there? And that led me down the path of what is a single family office and how do the ultra affluent um, treat their wealth? Uh, And it's a fascinating story. Uh, And there is a whole subculture of affluent people that operate on a different level than most. Mm -hmm. And they're not uh, they're not quiet. Uh, not all of them. Some of them are very hermit-like and and they're in their own little world and they only have their own little network, but some of them are writing books. Some of them are sharing their information um, that I found to be incredibly valuable, even for somebody who doesn't have a net worth of a hundred million dollars, you know, and Mm -hmm. uh, the theories that they're talking about can be applied if you have a dollar or a hundred million dollars, it doesn't matter. And so once you understand that, and there's a bigger way to play the game. I, I kind of think about it like this. If I invite you to a football game and you've never played football before, how successful are you going to be if I just give you a 10-minute crash course and throw you out on the field as opposed to somebody who's ultimately studied the rules of the game and don't just know how to play the game, but they know how to use the rules to their advantage, right? Mm-hmm. And they understand a theory in a bigger picture. And so if we apply that to, okay, well, I know, how, I know the rules of the game, but maybe not as deep as I could or as deep as I should, um, that leads you down a path of kind of uncovering the number one problem that all real estate investors face in the beginning of their careers. And that's, you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's the biggest catch 22 you could possibly be in. How could you possibly know what you don't know, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to, to overcome. What I found is there's two ways to to override that, and that's through information and research. So actually going out and learning from other people who have either done it or talking about it, or experience, putting your feet in the water and learning the harder way, but learning. Um, And so obviously the mission is, can we learn as much as we can without experience and learning something that's already been learned before us? Uh, to get up to that level where we can build some serious generational worth, you know, net worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's uh, I've heard of that, that book and I have, it's on my list to read and I haven't actually read it yet, but um, I think you're absolutely right. The way that we look at assets versus liabilities, the way that we look at the things that we actually own versus, you know, is it actually producing any income for me? This, you know, the right. idea of making your money work for you um is it seems simple but you know we're operating on a completely different wavelength with you know guys who are 100 billion 100 million or you know um, net worth or or billions um and you know some of that is taxed us some of that is how they actually manage all that 
But, um, you know, so knowing that, what's kind of the biggest insight you've taken away from that book that uh, has really kind of started you where you were now to, to where you are now? I think the mindset that I took from that was about how to budget. We live in a consumer society. And I mean, like at a core DNA level, everything around us is telling us to spend, to have things and nice things. It's, it's the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Mm -hmm. And my neighbor just got a new truck. So I'm going to go buy a new truck. Um, my buddy just got a brand new 80 inch TV. So I got to go get a brand new 80 inch TV. Right. And don't get me wrong. I like nice things. Um, but there is a big difference in a wealthy person's mindset when it comes to how they're allocating their money and, and what they think is important. And consumerism does not hold a place in most truly wealthy people's lives. When you look at people who have boats and quads and cars and big houses mm -hmm. and nice things in their house, I guarantee you almost that all of those people are not wealthy. Those people are deep, knee deep in debt. They are trying to appear wealthy, but they're not. And that's, that's what I found in most of the, of the use cases that I've approached. And so I think the to answer your question, the biggest thing that I took from that book is how to budget appropriately. I know how much is going out and how much is coming in to the penny on a monthly basis. And what that gives me is a net income at the end of the day. What do I have coming in extra? And what am I doing with that money? Where am I allocating that money? And this is the same concept as, I don't know if you've ever read Paul Aker's book called Two Second Lean. Mm -hmm. If not, highly recommend it. Um, but what he talks about is making micro improvements on a daily basis. He pays his employees. He owns a big company here in Washington. Um, his book is free, by the way, on his website, paulacres.net. I, I just, I love everything that guy has to say. Um, but what he talks about is he pays his employees 30 minutes a day to look at a process that they touch, part of their job. And then he challenges them to increase the production of whatever it is that they touch by two seconds every single day. Now, two seconds doesn't mean anything in the moment. It's a minuscule, you know, it doesn't really move the needle at all. But what he talks about is daisy chaining those two second improvements day over day, year over year, decade after decade. It becomes exponential because you're, you're improving at that rate so consistently. And I think about this the same way that I think about the money snowball is I, if I can save an extra $10 here, $100 here, $1,000 here, instead of spending it on something that doesn't produce income, and I do that consistently, then in five or 10 years, I'm going to have so much money that I'm going to have everything that I want, plus the financial independence that I was looking for in the first place. And so I think really getting a grip on your finances and then arbitrage and side hustling to increase income and do everything that you can to eliminate debt or expense. And so like I ditched Netflix a couple of months ago. It's gone. I don't have that anymore. And I've had it for years. Guess what? I got Curiosity Stream instead. Now I'm spending $12 a year instead of $15 a month. And the education that's going into my brain is going through the roof. You know, and not that I don't like Stranger Things and Game of Thrones and, and all those other things, right? But this is a question of, is that $14 a month really providing me value? And when I really put it on the chopping block, it didn't. So I ditched it. And so there's 150 bucks or so a year that can go towards something else. That could be part of my down payment for my next multifamily property, which is something I'm very bullish about. Mm -hmm. 
You know, one of the things I, I like to think about when I think about mindset and like assets and liabilities is also what's an asset and liability within ourselves as well. So I think a lot of people, you know, look at, uh, you know, successful people who are millionaires, whether it's in real estate or just take Jeff Bezos, for example, right? Sure. They, they look at this guy, you know, one of the wealthiest people in the world and say, all they see is like, hey, he's worth, you know, $500 billion, $800 billion, right? Right. Um, and say, hey, like, I can never, I can never strive to be that person because he's already, he's almost like godlike, right? And they kind of put him, put sure. the individuals on the pedestal. Um, yeah, right, so right. instead of focusing on what it takes to get to that point, like what, what kind of do I have to be? A lot of times it comes down to what do I not want to be, right? What do I need to shed right. to become that, end up becoming that person? Because, you know, uh, one of the other books I really like is um, The Millionaire Mindset by T. Harv Ecker. He talks oh, about one. the, the yeah. money blueprint and that. And yeah. like, we all have a thermometer that we're set at. So like, if you're, if you're a thousand dollar type of income person, like you're very comfortable yep. with being a thousand dollars. So if you go below that, you'll quickly return. If you go above that, you'll quickly return. Right. Right. But you know, the guys who are operating on a billion dollar level, they have a very different money thermometer that they're operating at. And so one of the 100%. easier ways to put yourself in that position is, is adjusting your mindset and, and stripping the things that are not serving you and adding on the things that are serving you to get to that point. Because you know, look at Jeff Bezos 30 years ago, you know, Amazon was nothing. It was something in That's his right. garage. Just like what yep. happened with Bill Gates, just like what happened with Steve right. Jobs, right? And it's not until you see these ultra wealthy guys now make it big that you're like, oh man, right. like that's really awesome. But you don't see the rest of the struggle it took to get there. Uh, well, and, and look, do you need $800 billion to be financially independent? No, not even close. Mm -hmm. What would your life look like? You, Anthony, what would your life look like if you had $25,000 a month in passive income coming in forever? Forever. Mm-hmm. What would that do for you? Would that change a couple of things? You don't have to wake up and go to work anymore. And you just get dropped 25K into your account every month. Does that change your life? Definitely does. Yeah. It would change mine, right? So, okay. So now it's a question of, okay, if we don't need $800 billion and maybe you don't even need 25, maybe you look at me and say, James, I could survive on 10K and live the lifestyle that I want to live. Cool. The number is irrelevant, whether it's a million dollars in passive net income a month or 800 billion in net worth. It doesn't matter whatever the number is, but it's about reverse engineering the plan. Think of it like a roadmap. We, we can identify where we're currently at. We can identify where we want to go. Now it's just about reverse engineering what steps are going to take to get there. And when we talk about real estate, this is less of a subjective question and more of a mathematical question right? How much money are we going to get per door per month off of the unit that we're looking at? What's our cash on cash ROI? How much is this going to get me closer to my net goal of, for me, $25,000 a month or whatever my number is, right? Mm -hmm. And so in between those questions, it's about, well, how do I get to that next benchmark? And just like special forces will do, they have a theory called prioritize and execute. If you're being shot at by five different people, you need to very quickly be able to tell what is my biggest threat and then go work on that threat. Once that threat's down, then you move on to the next threat, right? And this is a very similar conversation where there's a million different ways that we could go achieve this goal, but we want to do it systematically and intelligently. And there is a way to blueprint that out into something that makes sense for you to follow on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, because it's something that constantly reminds you, you know what I got in the habit of is thinking before I swipe that debit card. Do I really need this thing that I'm trying to buy right now? 
Because if I don't, that money could help me get to the point where money doesn't matter anymore. And that is the goal. Truly, people who are trying to get financial independence don't want to worry about money anymore. They don't want to worry about, is this swipe of the card going to set me back? Because the honest truth is, once you get to 25K a month or whatever the number is, the snowball is rolling so fast that you can't even really push it anymore. It runs by itself. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a tremendous point. Um, yeah, it's, just, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you just got to figure out what's what's best for you. But I think the first part of that is knowing what's best for you. Right. Um, it's, yeah. It's, 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 very, for everybody. It's, it's very easy to say, hey, I want to make a million dollars you know, a month or a million dollars a year. But right. actually achieving that and reverse engineering that is really a difficult part. And I think that's what makes people stand out between the, you know, the entrepreneurs and guys that are that's just really a pipe dream. For them, right? Is how much yeah, how much yeah. work are you willing to do to reverse engineer that, and then get into the good habits to actually do those steps that you need to get to that point? Um, and it's 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 Ooh, a huge mindset thing. That's I really big. think it starts there. I, I I think you just hit a really big nail on the head, and I, I would say it like this: to achieve financial independence, or really to achieve anything great, it requires sacrifice, temporary sacrifice, but sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? Because if I've got 25 grand a month and I don't care how much that 80 inch TV costs, I don't care how much that new truck costs because I have so, there's just so much money coming in that I don't, I just don't really care anymore. I, I use this analogy. I want to be wealthy cash flow wise in a way that I could go fly to Costa Rica for lunch because I want to. Why not? Why not? Because that sounds fun because that's something that makes me happy. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I want to go buy up a whole bunch of Airbnb so I can go travel around the world whenever I see fit. I want to black out these dates and those dates and over there and whatever. Like, again, it doesn't matter. But most of the time I see people try and jump into this. I think you just hit the biggest nail on the head. It's people want what they want, but they're not willing to sacrifice what it takes to get there. So it does become a pipe dream. They force it to become a pipe dream because they're not willing to put in the work. Nothing is free. It takes time, money, money, blood, sweat, tears. It takes all those things. So you have to be in a mindset that says, hey, we're on a mission. You don't just slack off when we're when we're in a mission. We've got shit to do, right? Mm-hmm. This yeah, is one, no different. Yeah, one of my uh, one of my favorite quotes um, is if nothing changes, nothing changes. And uh, mm. you know, I think for a lot of people, it's if you're doing the same actions you've always been doing and expecting a different result, it's like the definition of madness, right? So if you're expecting to, to be rich or be financially free and you're taking the same actions and hanging out with the same people and doing the same things you've always been doing, you're going to be stuck in the same place as you've always been, right? So right. I think that that's key for people to understand is like, hey, like these, these steps that you need to take are, are simple and it really starts with habits, it really starts with yeah. realizing what's good and what's bad within your life that's actually adding or taking away. Um, and really just it starts to change and it can be, it can be very incremental change. Like you talked about with, uh, with two second yeah. lean great book, by the way. Um, yeah. it, it's super simple to be able to do stuff like that. Cause it's not, um, you know, setting the marker in a different place, say it ends up, doesn't right. think like it saves you a lot of time, but it really does. And cause now you're not spending 10 minutes a day trying to go look for your pen. You're spending two seconds every time. Right. right? Um, This is also about seeing something that's right in front of you. I use this analogy quite a bit. Have you ever seen a 3D movie before? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to look at the 3D movie while it's playing without the glasses on just to see what it looks like? It's a little trippy. Yeah, it's it's almost like you can tell what's going on, but something is off, right? Something isn't quite right. So the idea is when you're watching this movie, something is tangibly in front of you that whole time. 
it's there, Mm -hmm. but you can't see it because you're not looking through the right lens. It takes the right, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, filter to see through. And then once you put those glasses on, it's like, whoa, there it is right there in front of me. And, but it was there the whole time. It was there. I just couldn't see it. And I look at a lot of things like that. So when I'm looking at an opportunity or a theory or an idea or a blueprint, I'm thinking about, am I looking at this problem or this opportunity through the right lens? And if I'm not, I need to ask the right questions to find out where that lens is. How do I get that lens? And I think that's a really important point because there is a lot right under our nose that we just don't know is there because we don't have the glasses on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting to me when, um, you know, I'm, I've, you know, we own a few different properties and, and the, the tenants that we have, how they deal with money and like how they pay and all these things, it seems very, it seems very simple yeah. to me. Like, Hey, don't overspend, right. Don't put all right. of your, your monthly expenses <laughs> on a credit card if you can't pay for it. Right. Like right. set up automatic you know, deposits for your rent or automatic drafts yeah. or however. Right. It seems yeah. so simple to me as a person. But, you know, it, there's a there's a pretty big gap between the, the knowledge that a lot of people have across the country of financial literacy. Um, so I, I found and it. Who's teaching it? Right. Who who is right. teaching this financial literacy? It isn't our parents. Wasn't mine, at least. It's not our school system. I went through 12 years worth of school. And never once learned what a credit score impact was or how to get a loan. You know, they certainly didn't teach it in college. The military didn't teach it to me, at least very well. So it's like, who's out here teaching this information? That is the problem. The education is what's lacking in, in a big way. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, what you're trying to do with the, with helping people and what we're doing with the podcast here and a lot of, there's a lot of different resources out there. I think it's an important yeah. thing to know is it, you're not, you're not a lone island in the sea of, uh, you know, turbulent times. Like there's, there's people That's who right. are doing this. There's people who have shown you the way. There's people that have built boats to, to traverse these, uh, you know, the, the rocky waters. So, um, so speaking of which, I kind of want, I know we've talked, we've talked a lot about the mindset part of it, but I really want to get into, yeah. you know, your, your real estate story and, and talk about this. Sure. More. Um, yeah. but let's, let's start with your, your fourplex that you bought using a BA loan. Was that your first property or would did that just happen to be kind of your, your best property? I think it's my best property so far, for sure. Uh, certainly wasn't my first. Um, I bought two single family homes and two duplexes with the VA loan um, and ended up selling all of those. So I'm down to just the fourplex um, and I've got some land in, in various places as well. But as far as income producing properties, the fourplex was really it. Um, I did uh, 1031, a couple of those properties into the fourplex. Um, and so that that money did help just a little bit. It, it wasn't a ton. I only took, I think, about 25K. Um, and did that. And then, uh, yeah, the fourplex, this was in late 2019 and it was on the market for two hours and I had it locked up under contract, uh, right about that time. So I was, I jumped on it real quick. So I was actively looking, um, and this one was perfect. It was, uh, it's a two bed, two bath house with a detached triplex on an acre, uh, probably about 15 minutes away from joint base Lewis McCord. So I just, it's perfect for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but I bought it um, from a guy who had just bought it off market and flipped it. So it was, everything was touched. Um, he did it kind of the wrong way. He tried to flip it without permits and got caught, uh, which is a good story of why you shouldn't do this. He ended up having to pay $38,000 to give me a brand new electrical system for all four units, um, or he wouldn't have been able to sell the property. So he kind of got screwed, but he also did it the wrong way. So I'm sorry, not sorry. Um <laughs> 
but this was one of those situations where everything had been flipped. Uh, it was all vacant. And so I moved into the house and that's actually what I'm sitting in right now. We turned the second bedroom into our studio and, and office. And then I just rent out the other one. So I literally am a break even plus 1400 bucks a month net at the end of the day. And so I have other people paying me to live here. It's really the best way to go. <laughs> yeah. So for the listeners who are, are, are you know, listening to this, that, the idea of house hacking is huge. And that's, uh, that's what I did as well. Bought a four unit uh, with the VA loan, lived in one, had the other three rented out and just live for free and, you know, make a little bit of chunk of change on the side. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yep. it's, it's huge. And it's something that we have the ability as military guys, whether you're active duty or not to be able to take advantage of that VA loan. And that's uh, it's, it's, it's such a simple way to get started. Right. Um, yeah. If, if the circumstances are right, you know, um, here's, I think- here's one other thing that I want to note on that. Cause the VA just changed the rules on, on how we can do this. So check this out. This is where it gets really exciting. And it's not even if it's a fourplex, like any property at all, if you have property management experience on your tax return. So if you've rented out a room of your home or you have a duplex or something smaller and you have that on your taxes for two years, the VA now says that if you were to go after a fourplex, I get to use 75% of those rents that are coming in as my income. So if the houses are being rented for $1,500 a month per door, that means I get $4,800 a month of extra income to help me get approved for that property. So getting in small and getting it on your tax returns actually has a massive benefit. I mean, what's 4,800 bucks a month? It's a, that's a full-time job, right? So yeah. you're basically adding another full-time job for free to get into bigger properties. That's something that the VA just changed, I think a year or two ago. And it is a game changer for anybody who has the VA loan that wants to get into larger multifamily. Because look, you know, I paid five sixty four for my fourplex. It's hard to get approved at that level, especially when you're active duty. That's you got to have serious low debt to income. You got to have good income to make that count. But an extra forty eight hundred bucks or even anything in that range, oof, that makes it easy. I didn't even have to. The loan officer is like, yeah, you're good to go. You know. So that's one of those things where, again, knowing how to use the rules to your advantage of the VA home loan have massive implications. And now all of a sudden, people who never would have been, been able to be qualified for a larger multifamily property like a triplex or fourplex, now all of a sudden, it's easy to get approved for that. So that's just one of those, you know, there are tactical ways to use the VA home loan to invest. Um, and that's the narrative that I hate the most. I hear so many people that's, oh, you can't invest with your VA home loan. Anybody who says that is stupid, just they don't know what they're talking about. It just isn't true. Whether you're talking about a single family house, duplex, triplex, fourplex, it doesn't matter. You can strategically use the VA home loan to invest in real estate. And while you're active, you should be doing that, especially because the government is paying that bill. It's free money. Why not? Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Anyway, I think I'm off my soapbox. No, it's all good. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that goes back to the education part of things is like, hey, if you want to get into this, you need to find the right education for it. And it doesn't yeah, have to be yeah. expensive. You can find everything really pretty much on bigger pockets on YouTube. Yes, right anywhere you, yeah. you want to yeah. go. You, I mean, don't pay for gurus. Please right. don't pay for gurus. That's not necessary. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more there. Um, yeah, I mean, the VA loan is, is, is huge. It's huge potential. It's, it's essentially free money right? 
to, yeah. to be able to, to build a life for yourself. Right. And at the very least, you'll use it to, 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 uh, to live in a house and rent out your rooms at the very least. Right. If you yeah, can't find right. a, a duplex or a triplex or a quad, which, you know, depending on where you live might be difficult or outside of your range. Right. So there's it's always hard. ways. It's hard here always, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, there's always ways to, to get around it. So, um, so let's get into, uh, I want to talk in the single family office a little bit before we get into to this fund. So uh, can you kind of explain what a single family office is and, and why you're exploring that? One of my favorite conversations in the world. Um, there's a book called The Single Family Office by Richard Wilson, recommended highly just to get general awareness around what the hell a single family office is, how it operates. What it ultimately is, is a family so somebody who uh, owns or sold a large company, or it could be generational wealth that's been passed down. It's ultimately somebody who has, and I'm just ballparking here because there's no hard number, but I'm going to say anywhere from $50 million up to multiple of billions of dollars in investable capital, and they treat their wealth. So think about how much money you have in the bank, but theirs is just a, a lot more zeros, right? How they treat that is like it's a business. So they are hiring a chief executive officer, a chief operations officer, a chief finance officer, a chief investment officer. They're filling out their entire executive C-suite with people who are specialists in turning that $50 million into 70 and 70 into 100 and 100 into 500 and whatever it might be. So their mission is to take the wealth and invest it and grow it in line with whatever the principal uh, goals are, right? Sometimes it's to preserve the wealth. So they're going to look at very safe bets. It might be to grow the wealth. And so they're going to be looking for the next Facebook and they're going to take risk and they're going to do high levels of due diligence. But what it really is, is wrapping your, your wealth into a company and then hiring people who are very, very talented. We're talking about people who are on $150,000 to $250,000 a year salaries that justify their salaries by increasing that person's wealth enough to cover it on an annual basis. So it's not an expense. That person is designed to go earn their quarter of a million dollars plus bonuses, right? So these are very, very intelligent, high-level people that play in the circle that is again under our nose, but we just don't see it, right? Mm -hmm. And so why this conversation is important is again, because these people who are at these high levels, not all of them, but some of them are sharing their ideologies and their blueprints and how they're treating their current investments, how they think about things. You know, when you think about due diligence, how many items do you think would be on a normal due diligence checklist for a fourplex, just ballpark? Well, outside of home inspection alone, uh, I mean, you got the financial inspection, you got to do that. You got the title. I mean, there's, I would say probably five to 10 things, depending on. Yeah. On yeah. That's probably fair. Right. So five to 10 single family offices, when they're doing due diligence on an opportunity have North of 250 line items that they're, that they're checking. Wow. And so it's incredibly deep, incredibly complicated to, to me. Um, it's muscle memory for them, but um, single family offices really teach you how to run a business because they're running their wealth as if it's a business. So their principles and their, their standard operating procedure is superior to anything I've ever seen ever. And so getting awareness around how they think 
and what they're doing and where they're putting their money and how they got their money, um, it, it really does inform some of my strategies that I'm deploying on a daily basis, really. Mm-hmm. I think you hit think, the nail on the head. Think like, think like somebody who has $100 million and you're going to make better decisions. That's just, that's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think you real nail, really nailed it there. And it's all about the blueprint that they can, they, they can provide for you. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. if you have 50, you have 50 bucks or, or a thousand bucks or, you know, hundred million, right. The way right. that you, that you treat money and the mindset you have around it is really what makes, makes a difference there. Right. Um, yes. So that's a good point. Yeah. Cause I, I, cause I, you know, I was thinking about that as well as like, Oh, single family offices. Those are for like the Uber rich, right. Who have a lot of money mm-hmm. to throw around, Uber, like, you know, what rich. is the relevance yeah. of yep. that? Um, but I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think a large part of that is, Hey, what, what lessons can we take learn away from these guys, both good and bad. Right. Cause I'm sure there's a right. lot, a lot of bad lessons that they learn along the way that, uh, you know, end up losing a lot of money yep. or they got burned on or, you know, pain points. Um, those are often, yeah, I mean, most, th- you know, most valuable lessons. A hundred percent. And I mean, you think about what would impact us at our level. Like if I had a tenant that didn't pay rent this month, you know, I'm not going to be hurt, but it's going to be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if one of their investments doesn't uh, pan out or something goes sideways, the, the amount of zeros that we're talking about in this conversation are significant, right? We're talking about them losing hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of dollars in a swing. And that is a big deal, right? And, and we see a lot of it going on with the hedge fund space right now, which is parallel in some, in some forms to the single family office. But like these hedge funds that were shorting GameStop and, uh, and, and AMC, uh, are, a lot of them are out of business right now because they were playing dangerous games. Um, and they're kind of, they were kind of rolling the dice a little bit and they lost, right? Snake eyes, 100%. And mm-hmm. so- um, you know, risk aversion is something that everybody is aware of, uh, but at different levels. And so I think understanding how those people think at the single family office level, not just the, the principals, but the, the C-suite level executives too, the operations people, how are they thinking about how to grow that person's net worth of a hundred million into two or into five or into a billion, you know? Uh, because they're looking to make the biggest impact they can. Of course, they're looking at generational wealth, social impact, um, you know, starting businesses and incubating other people. And there's, it's a wide universe for sure, but it's just not talked about very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, uh, you're, you're right there. And it's not to belabor the point, because I'm sure we could spend a whole episode talking about this, but I think you touched on totally. <laughs> the difference between single family offices and, and, and investing in really alternative assets. That's, you know, yep. I, I guess yep. we're not really talking about, you know, stock market, capital market type of investments. You're talking yeah, alternatives like commodities and like actual real tangible properties, gold. Although yeah, gold, most, you know, are you, but, most single family offices, I would I would argue, are fairly diverse, but a lot of them are more invested into businesses. They want they want ent- they want equity control over companies. And so they might have a CEO that manages 15 CEOs. Right. And so, I mean, we're talking about a big level operation here at the highest level, the most, you know, the most ultra wealthy people you can possibly imagine are playing in this space. And so just to think about how they think and the honest truth is a lot of what I took from that, which I already had a sense of it, but the importance of vertical integration and building vertically integrated businesses. Um, that's something that they're super heavy on. And it's super, it's something I'm super heavy on. Um, there are some real impacts on how that works. So 
you know, we'll talk about the fund in a minute, but like I own a real estate company that has a capital arm for a hedge fund that also is aligned with a property management company that eventually will be involved in a veteran, uh, a VA loan company and a home inspection company and a landscaping company and, and whatever else, right? It's, um, there's so much opportunity to split off these different divisions that aren't necessarily aligned um, as if it should be a department of that company, but it can right. be its own company. So all those companies I just mentioned exclusively serve me, but they also go out and find other, other clients. Our property management company doesn't only serve Operation Red Dot. It also goes out and finds other people that want us to manage their properties or their portfolio as well. So those companies are earning their own income while also serving me. Right. And there's a lot of powerful implications around that. So vertically integrated business, I think, is a big piece of what what makes single family offices very powerful. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's an amazing point because you also think that, yeah, it helps you and it also grows the companies, but it also brings you more ends up bringing you more lead and more capital, especially in the real estate side. Right. right. I mean, you're touching. Yeah, that's right. That's particular property management, for example, you're touching you know, five, 10, 15 other properties within the area. Those are different yep. owners that may or may not want to sell properties to you or may want to buy properties. That's right. right. And then yep. it just, it kind of, like you said, it snowballs and it just snowballs and just yeah. keeps going. And once yeah. you get everything set up and it's kind of very streamlined, it just, it, it, it takes on a life of its own. And I've found that to, yeah. to be true in, in my life as well with, with my business. So nice. Um, but let's get into the fun before we get towards the, towards the end of the show. Cause sure. I think, you know, this is, is amazing. So you are launching a, or, or have launched now a hundred million dollar real estate fund to end, uh, the military housing crisis. So, so let's talk about that. I have a list of about 200 active duty families just at JBLM right now that are homeless. Oh, Them and their families don't have a place to live. They're in a hotel and they've been there for six to 12 months because they can't get anything on base. There's the rental market here is insanely hot and competitive and VA offers are getting off. They're getting accepted less because they're zero down when they've got a conventional 25% down guaranteeing 50 K above the asking price. Why would you take VA? There's no reason, right? So active duty service members are being pushed to the bottom of the list because they're not as competitive. I hate to say it, but the, the VA home loan benefit is not competitive in a hot market. It just isn't. Even if it's a military owner, if it's a military seller, right? Yep. Um, real estate is an investment and we're not a good, uh, we're not a good uh, investment when we're competing against 20 other offers when a lot of them have serious cash to throw around, right? And so our idea behind the fund is creating a lease option program where I'm going to stand in front of our service members at 75 of the biggest bases across the US, and I'm going to let my cash do the talking. So I'm going to get the service members into the house. And then if they just want to be a renter and just rent, I don't care. There, there's no non-refundable uh, deposits. Um, part of your rent is not being applied towards some non-refundable thing. There's no extra fees. So it's just, you're going to be my tenant. And you're going to sign a, a lease agreement that basically says, if you want to buy this home, here's the flat rate fee that you're going to pay. And you go get a mortgage lender of your choice and then you can buy the home. I'm giving you the option to purchase this at a flat rate. And so it, it, it offers a lot more flexibility, but it gets service member families into homes. And that's the most important point. So we launched on uh, July 30th of 2021. And we've already raised a healthy chunk in the beginning. 
And we're still, I mean, you know, raising $100 million is not something that happens overnight, right? This takes time. It takes uh, being in front of the right people. And so we're going after charity endowments and high net worth investors and companies and all these different demographics of people who are looking for passive income in their portfolio. So I'll give an example, like I want passive income. So what's the difference between me going and buying single or multifamily real estate for myself with my own financial resources and then being the landlord or paying for a property management company or whatever else instead of just getting exposure to those assets and getting a monthly return instead. So this is only for accredited investors because we're raising a pretty significant amount and we're registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. So we do have certain boundaries that we have to stay in uh, legally. But um, the idea is our investors are coming to the table and saying, hey, I want my, my worth, my net worth to make me passive income. And so we're taking their money, their investment, and then kicking them back a return every single month. So they're almost playing the bank for lack of a better term. Uh, but what they're getting is a safe and secure investment because A, we're buying class A single family homes, which means it needs almost nothing. They're turnkey ready to go, but our tenants are all active duty military. They all have BAH. And so that gives the safety and security to the investor to say, hey, this is a safe bet because these guys are pretty much guaranteed. And so we raise the money here. And then my intent is to be in all 75 bases by the end of probably 2024. Yeah, yeah, 2024. Um, somewhere in that ballpark, 2024, 2025. We'll beachhead here at Joint Base Lewis-McChord and Bangor Navy Base um, as soon as we hit the 20 million mark in the fund. And then everything after that is just going to help us start expanding I think probably there's a whole bunch of places, um, you know, Vegas is on my list, uh, a couple of Navy bases in Texas, a couple of Army bases in Texas, uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, Marine base in uh, also in North Carolina, a couple of places in Florida, they're all over. So, um, you know, all six branches go Space Force, uh, you know, now, now that we've got kind of everybody on board, but this is a problem that is plaguing the military in general. The government is not in the business of real estate. They're just not. And so I think we can do a lot of damage to this problem from the outside and just get people in homes. But for me, it's less about just the roof, right? Having a place to live is important. But again, I threw away $136,000 over my seven years in the army. And I want to prevent other people from doing that. And I think if you go into this program as a renter and come out as an owner, and you're leaving these properties at every duty station that you go to, you effectively should be leaving your active duty military service. You should be ETSing with a healthy chunk of passive income and uh, an even healthier chunk of equity into the properties that you own, whether they're houses or multifamily. I'm a little biased towards multifamily, <laughs> but um, you, know, you should be leaving your military service, especially if you did 20 plus years. You should be leaving the military with a healthy chunk of money and a healthy chunk of equity that gives you the flexibility to leave the military and not have to immediately turn around and go, oh shit, military is not paying my bills anymore. I better go get a job because I got to put food on the table. We got to pay rent. We got to pay insurance. We got to pay the bills, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to do. 30 days after I left, I'm like, oh, military is not paying the way anymore. I better get my shit together. 
Um, and that could have been a lot different. I could have pursued something that I wanted to pursue, something that was more of a passion to me instead of like, oh, I better go get a job that I'm probably going to hate, but it puts money on the table, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fund is, is a vehicle that's being used to help us spread across the country, basically, and ultimately become a household name in, in military housing. Yeah. No, I think I think it's a fantastic idea. And, and this is, you know, the first time I've, I've really seen something uh, to this degree is, you know, I think it's one thing to have uh, to to spread awareness of, of what this issue yeah. is. And, you know, and I've seen that even here in Yokosuka as well here in Japan, you know, yep. a lot of people are yep. trying to get here and, and they can't find housing. Right. And there's a different, right. a little different issue here because there's a little bit more of right. a, a language barrier. But yeah, back in the States, like, you know, you read articles about people paying 50, you know, 100,000 more than the, mm -hmm. than the property was worth a year ago, on, depending that's, on where you live. Right. And that's that's crazy right. to me to think about. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds like yeah. a very, very real issue. And I'm glad you bring, not only bring awareness to it, but actually solving uh, solving a problem for a lot of these people and yeah. um and you know i think it's to your point about the lease to own option i think it'd be it'd be easy to just say hey you know we're going to rent some to active duty guys and they're going to stay there for three years and then they'll move on but right. you're giving them an option to actually own real assets right and not That's only that right. but you're giving them yeah. an option that is is easy to kind of understand and comprehend to someone who may not have right. any experience in real estate right you yeah. kind of give them a, a package deal that's easy for them to say, Hey, yep. I just want to rent and just kind of live or, Hey, I want to right. put my, you know, put my BAH towards building equity in a, in a property that I can then buy, you know, down the road, if, if so be it. Um, I right. think that's, I think that's amazing. I think that you, you provided a real solution to, to a problem that, uh, uh, you know, it's really plaguing a lot of people. Um, yeah. Well, and, so and it was awesome. for all of us too. You, you know, we only hire vets for Operation Red Dot. The only people, well, I should say veterans and, and direct dependents of veterans. So spouses and, and working age, age kids, but it's about who's lived the experience, mm -hmm. right? If you've been through a PCS and you know what it's like, you know what those pain points are, you're eligible, right? And so that means anybody that you talk to behind our curtain, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, either wore the uniform or lived in a home with someone who did and experienced the exact same struggles that you are. It bridges that connection in a way that nobody else can. And look, when you're PCSing, it's stressful, right? Especially if you've got kids. So you get to your new base, there's nothing available on post. So you're stuck in a hotel paying a whole bunch of extra money. You can't get your kids registered for school. All your household goods are in storage. There's just a lot of problems that just adds unnecessary stress where I think, and we've proven this um, you know, through our 75 million in sales so far, I've proven that if somebody gives me enough notice that they're coming to a base that I serve, I can be standing at the front door with your key to your new home before you're even boots on the ground, right? We can do virtual tours. I can get you set up in a way where there is no hotel. I can have a permanent address set for you before you even leave your current duty station. And that changes the game across the board. That changes everything as far as people's stress levels and logistics, and just knowing that you can, you can leave on that road trip or on that plane confident that you have a place to live. That's a, that's a Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs question. If you don't have a roof over your head, you don't feel safe. That means you're not going to make as good of decisions because your safety is being threatened. We can take that away completely. And, and I think we're going to. No, I think that's tremendous. I think, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's hard to imagine what that's like if PCSing, you know, across the country, much less overseas or coming from overseas 
back yeah. to the United States without having having to actually go through that. And uh, you know, right. when when we PCS out here, luckily we had a, another place to move into because we had an Airbnb. But for the vast majority of people, like nice. your stuff's leaving, you know, maybe the month that you're going, and then you have yeah. all you someone's renting you stuff, and then and then you yep. get there and you got to spend another two months waiting for all your stuff to come in. Um, that's, yep. that's a, that's a surprisingly lot of stress, uh, for just to get the logistics yep. down and getting your stuff, much less finding a house, yep. getting yourself set up your command, getting your whole family set up. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge yep. amount of, uh, extra things to think about when, when your primary yeah. purpose is to show up and do your job. Right. And that's right. Yeah. We still have a mission to do, right. We still have, we still have shit to do. Uh, and that is really the hard part is you don't have a lot of time in the beginning to really check those boxes off and make sure your family's set up. And if you're spending, I mean, think about this, man, six to 12 months in a hotel with your spouse, your kids, your dog, your cat, your whatever you could fit in your car. Whew, I've done it. I, I've, I've lived the life and it's a miserable thing to be involved in. And so let's not do that. Simple. Let's just not do that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Dude, I think that's an amazing idea. And I love, I hope that the listeners are listening to this and, and get involved with it and spread the word. Cause I think it's, it's uh it's, it's one of those solutions or it's one of those problems that you don't really think about until you think about it and see the, to see yeah. the problem that exists. So you know, I appreciate you, you, you talking about that. Yeah. There, there's just a better way to do it. And, and, you know, like I said, the lens that we look at life through is the lean lens. We are very bullish on lean uh, mentalities and, and principles and we're just always looking for how we can improve things. And we look at the PCS system as broken. Again, the military is not in the business of real estate. They're not in the business of moving people from A to B. So it's not really a big surprise that they're pretty shitty at it. <laughs> and so again, I don't need to be on the inside of the DOD to fix this problem. I can do it from my seat right here. And that's, that's exactly what we're doing. So thanks for the opportunity to talk about it though. And I just, you know, we built this business ultimately not to sell things. I'm not a used house salesman, but I know my brothers and sisters are out there and they need help. They need a place to live first, right? Let's fix that problem. And so we don't come at this from the, oh, we're looking for clients so we can sell homes. That's, I, I just don't like that approach. I don't like selling anything. If our process is good, if our resources are good, if our, if our system is good, then people are going to use it because it's valuable to them. And the nicest part is they don't even have to pay anything up front for any of the services. There are services come from the commissions that the sellers are paying or from rents or, or from whatever. Like, I don't need your money. Let me help you with a solution. I think that's the biggest point. Yeah. I think being customer focused rather than focused on getting, making your own money is really the difference that you're yeah. talking about there. And it seems totally. like a subtle yeah, difference, totally. but it really is. It, it it's makes not. a huge it's mindset <laughs> shift too. When People know the when they're being from. sold. Yeah. People can tell. Mm -hmm. Right. People, people, and, and it's an icky feeling, right? Yeah. I hate being sold. I've never met one person in my whole life that likes to be sold period. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so anybody who's in that mindset, whether you're arbitraging something or you're selling stuff, like you can be a salesperson without selling. It's actually not that hard, but it's a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Um, well, Hey, we're getting towards the end of the show. So I want to get into the snapshot round. So you ready for it? Let's do it. All head blank cavitate, snapshot, tube tube. Yeah. All right. All right, James, what is your number one failure in real estate? Man, I only have to pick one. Um, <laughs> so I think starting with single family probably is my biggest regret. 
but also not asking the right questions in the beginning. So not, you know, not knowing what I don't know, but I'll, I'll stick with the single family thing. I wish I would have started with multifamily first. Okay, solid. All right, as a, a former active duty investor and now veteran investor, what advice do you have for other military investors to be successful? And I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but. Learn the lesson. rules of the game. Learn the rules of the game. There are so many things that the VA loan has to offer you, but you need to talk to somebody who knows it inside and out. Typically, those are veteran loan officers. Those are probably, or veteran loan officers are the best asset because they have to know the ins and outs. You know, you can buy a five unit uh, mixed use building with your VA loan, meaning a retail on the bottom floor and a fourplex above. Did you know you could buy a sixplex with two vets on the loan? There's crazy shit that nobody knows about. So understand the rules of the game. Really get deep into the weeds of what you can and can't do with the VA loan. Damn. Good now. All right. Uh, James, what inspired you to serve your country? That's a good question. That's always a hard one for me to ask. I knew since I was 13 that I was going to go into the military. I just knew. And I don't even know why. There was nobody that really inspired me to do so. I just loved the idea of airplanes and helicopters and, and, you know, military vehicles and big guns. And I don't know that that whole industry just really appealed to me. And it was just something that I always knew I was going to do. Now, of course, you know, I came in just after, um, you know, nine 11, um, you know, so I wasn't in Ramadi or anything like that, but that was certainly something that accentuated it, you know, wanting to go fight terrorism face to face. Uh, was something that really did appeal to me as well. So I, I think those those are probably the best best points. Yeah, fair enough. All right, and the last question for you, James. What is your dream? That's always a really fun one. Um, to build an empire that's self-sustainable, I think is the ultimate dream. Um, you know, and I, I mean, really financial independence, um, true financial independence, not having to think about, I want to do this thing. Do I have the time or money? Um, and then giving back. You know, giving back to the veteran community is something that I'm super passionate about. Um, I'm on the path to build a, a veteran entrepreneurship incubator that's going to help other vets who want to start businesses start businesses and give them tools, resources, theories, blueprints, you know, all that kind of stuff, and then help with the financing, right? I want to fund other veteran businesses and get them in the game. And so I, I think that's the end game, you know, where I could see me sitting years from now is just helping our community um, do something much bigger than just a job, right? Uh, you're running the rat race. There's, there's a world on the other side of W2 that you will never look back on if you, if you take that, that leap of faith. It's not easy, uh, but it's worth it. I, I will never go back to W2 ever again. Fair enough. Uh, well, cool. Well, James, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing, you know, not only your lessons learned, but what you're doing with single family office and what you're doing with this, with this fund as well. Cause I think, uh, like I said, I think the essence of being an entrepreneur is, is being a problem solver. And you're seeing an obvious yeah. problem that uh, not only has affected you, but affected your brothers and sisters, and you're finding a solution for that. So I truly do yeah. appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Um, I think it's really going to help Thank a lot of people. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that want to reach out to you and to learn more about the sure. fund, more about what you're doing, and, and just talk with you in general. So where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the best place is probably LinkedIn. Uh, or Facebook. Uh, you can also find me there. Um, I'm a podcast host. So I also post a bunch of content that's, uh, you know, real estate or just otherwise, you know, related. That's a lot of fun, but 
you know, um, I'll, I'll make sure you've got the links to put in the description and stuff like that. But yeah, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and then you can always find information on operationred.com also. Perfect. All right. Yeah, we'll include all in the, in the show notes as well. So James, again, awesome. I appreciate you, you coming on here, sharing your thoughts um, and your experiences. Please stay safe back in the States and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up later. You as well, brother. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through learn and teach segments. And listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.